0: Welcome about the Buckeye Talk. Stephen means Nathan Baird. And it is what it means Mondays. Still working it out. Still that's working some prediction,
1: it out. conviction,
0: man. I know. I I know. I know. I, I'm still working it out. Maybe I don't it's know. I like, I like this long-term thing of what is he gonna call it this week. But we're going we're not gonna do a, a full review of Ohio State 63 to 10 win over Western Kentucky because nobody wants to hear that. Everybody wants to start talking about Notre Dame. So that's what we did, Nathan. I watched the first half of the Ohio State game when it was Prevalent to see how Kyle McCord's progression had been going, especially that second quarter when Ohio State got into a groove. But then I watched the first half of Notre Dame against NC State because of the four teams Notre Dame's played this year, they played Central Michigan, NC State, Tennessee State, Navy. That's the only game for them where you probably give the other team a pulse and you could really learn about what Sam Hartman is in this Notre Dame offense. You watched Notre Dame as well. What just early impressions? On Sam Hartman,
1: you know the first thing that jumps out at you, um, if you haven't watched him, and I've seen him play before, but I hadn't, I hadn't really watched a lot of Notre Dame yet this year. It's kind of holding back for this week. He has all these like r- these numbers now for his career that are imposing, but when you watch him, he is not imposing. He's kind of a little dude. He's you know six one. He's he's definitely on the, the smaller side, and one of the reasons why he's not really a big. Pro prospect at this point uh, obviously the game has trended towards you know favoring taller guys bigger guys like like the ones that Ohio State typically produces at the same time uh, he is by and large a pocket passer like he they'll roll him out every once in a while I saw a lot of similarities really between the way Ohio State approaches offense and the way that Notre Dame approaches offense I thought they're you know at least cousins they're in the same broader family certainly not a comparison to like what Western Kentucky does or anything like that Notre Dame just doesn't have the same weapons but the thing that I came away from in this game was from from watching this game this NC State game and NC State's a program that typically does a pretty good job developing the defensive linemen I thought that their defensive line they showed some some guys up there and was causing Notre Dame some problems sometimes but any time that it they left it, you know, four on five, three on five, they were changing their front around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of played into Notre Dame's favor. There were definitely a handful of opportunities where, again, in stark contrast to what Ohio State just saw from Western Kentucky and what it had seen in, in really the first couple games, Notre Dame is willing to play uh, to to stretch out plays to like let long plays develop and give Hartman a chance to attack vertically and. That's where our Ohio State has to make them pay on defense. Uh, There was a sequence in the uh, third quarter of this game where they gave, you know, uh, NC State lined up in like double tight and sorry, Notre Dame lined up double tight motioned the tight end to the other side and then did play action like vertical shot up the seam. Does that sound familiar Mm -hmm. to anybody? Like, have Mm -hmm. we ever seen a team do that? (laughs) <laughs> every Saturday in in Ohio Stadium and uh they they got a guy open in the zone yeah just kind of lost him in the zone a little bit and he hit him for a big gain and then later in that same possession though and they i I tried to count I didn't have a stopwatch out but just by going by the game clock they he had like 4 plus seconds on that play to to let that develop and, and take that shot and then later in that series though NC State showed 3 and then brought two more guys, and the second guy that they brought, they brought a, a backer up the middle, but then they disguised it and brought another guy in, and kind of a delayed blitz, and that's the one who got to Hartman and sacked him. Like They got to Hartman a few times in this game and sacked him, and I, I think two things. Number one is you just can't give him that much time, and when you when he has that much time, that's where JT Tuomelo Jack Sawyer, whoever's in the game at that point, needs to, to beat their guy, not every time they're not going to do it every time. These tackles are are good ball players, and it's not going to be a, a relentless attack. But you've got to take you got to get there at some point. I think that's how you can change the game. And then the other thing is, I I think they're going to have to come after him, and it's it's going to be an interesting contrast into the way that Jim Knowles was talking earlier this week, or I should say last week, about what is his philosophy. Because I because I didn't come away from that game that press conference 100 convinced that I could say what he was exactly saying. Because he's talking about in these talent-equated games that maybe you back it off a little bit and you're not as aggressive. But was Western Kentucky, even though it's a lower level, were they, does he consider them talent-equated because they're so talented on offense or just the way that they approach offense was something that Ohio State was was a bigger problem for any team that they face? Does he consider Notre Dame's offense talent-equated simply because it's Notre Dame? Or does he look at this somewhat kind of, fine collection of offensive talent and think that's actually somebody we should go after. We should stay aggressive against them because they can't make us pay the way another team can't. This is going to be an interesting week to see how he approaches things because obviously it was last week, week one, opening night, first play of the game, cornerback blitz backfires when Josh Proctor misses a tackle. Mm -hmm. And are is he going to come out and stay that aggressive? Different quarterback? Different, uh, you know, Lorenzo Styles was receiver catching that pass. He's now playing defense for Ohio State. So it's it's a different set of personnel, but it just makes me think that, y- you know, you're on the road. Do you have to come bring some of that attack to try to take Hartman out of his comfort zone? Because I think it's not just it's not just bringing the pressure. It's those couple inches that he doesn't have. I mean, he's listed at 6'1". Who knows how tall that really means he is. Bringing guys in his face, I think, has it's it's even more advantageous for you when you're facing a guy who has that potential vision limitation so i have the numbers here from pff this
0: is through four games for them when he's kept clean he completes 74.7% of his passes so he's when he's kept clean he can operate yep. back there which is important for a guy who is only 6-1 but wants to sit back and draw back in the pocket that is very important when he's blitzed it only goes down to 72.4, but that might be a result of I've been in college football for six years and I know how to diagnose sure. stuff up. When he's not blitz blitz, when it's just, you know, four-man or three man, depending on whether you're a three, three-man front or four-man front, it's sixty-eight point three percent. But then it really drops down when he gets pressured. 47.1%. And that's not whether it's blitzing or four-man front. My takeaway from that is if you're gonna blitz him, you gotta get home, and you gotta disguise it really well. Because if not, if he can diagnose it, then it doesn't matter that you blitz. As a Matter of fact, you he might give up. You might give up a big play similar to what Ohio State gave up on that you mentioned. That Denzel Burke cornerback blitz to open up the game. That might happen a few times because this quarterback's older and has been around the block a few times. I don't know how much they should blitz yet. I haven't figured that out yet. We've got a week to continue to talk about that. But I do think JT and Jack have got to show that they're high end NFL players. Because if you don't have to blitz and those guys, I'm not saying that they need to dominate Joe Alt and Blake Fisher, but I think those two guys, and more importantly, those interior guys, Mike Hall didn't have the best game on Saturday. And I think Mike Hall, Tyleek Williams, maybe we see a little bit more Taiwan Malone because they'll throw it around in this game. But really, that 21 group of J- JT Malone, Jack Sawyer, Tyleek Williams, and Mike Hall – They've got to do their fair share of winning because whether they're getting sacks or not, Sam Hartman has to feel them because when he feels a defense, 47.1%. When he doesn't feel a defense, whether it's a blitz or not, he's mid 70%. And that might be the difference between how impactful Notre Dame's passing attack can be because they don't have elite level receivers. He's just a veteran who knows how to timely get the ball to guys. So if you disrupt him, you throw off the entire offense.
1: No, I think that's probably well said that it's that he does have an advantage here in just poise and experience. You know, he's going to have a home field at his back. He's going to just have all of these. By the way, there was a great stat. Did you catch it? The Affleck trivia question in that state (laughs) game. Did you see it? There was a trivia. The Affleck trivia question was how many NFL starting quarterbacks were in college Mm -hmm. at the same time as Sam Hartman? answer 17. More than half of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL were in college at the same time that Sam Hartman was, because he started his career. He started his first game in 2018. He's 24 years old, and he looks it. Like, I it, it, you think that maybe he would shave just to, but he like he really he's gonna he's not he that far it. off like late career Ryan Fitzpatrick at this point. Yeah. Like, he's he's going for the beard, and and he's um he he looks like the elder statesman out there. At the same time, I I watch him play. And I think it's, to me, it's a matter of you have to respect the floor. I don't think you need to fear the ceiling. He is not a guy that I feel like on his own is going to go out and dazzle you. And he's been a very long, the the best analogy I could come up with, and it's a terrible one uh, because of age and it's not the same sport, but he reminds me of someone like there've been these, these players in baseball history who just sort of like hang around and hang around and hang around. And the next thing you know, they've got, you know, 300 wins or 3000 hits and are going to the Hall of Fame. And Sam Hartman is kind of like that to me. Like he's he's just been a starting quarterback so mm-hmm. dang long. So he's thrown more touchdown passes than anybody in the ACC because he's just thrown more passes probably than anybody in the ACC. And here you are. Like you just you just sort of make a you're you're a career uh criminal at this point. You've just been doing it for so long. A career a career student as I used to say about people who just stayed in college for for indefinitely, which is kind of what he's doing. I don't look at him and I don't, I mean, I don't see like phenomenal arm strength. I think if he, he, he can get out and run, but I think if Ohio state makes him get out and run, that's playing into Ohio state's favor. I don't mm-hmm. think he goes out there and, and burns you really. Um, and again, that's why I think that, I mean, this defensive line has to play a, a really strong game. This, this defensive line is going to have to step up and, and win, uh, overall against this Notre Dame offensive line you have to find a way to make him do things on your terms I, I mean I'm mean, c- curious your impressions because like I just I don't see a guy who was really bombing away Um, I saw him take advantage of some some opportunities like I said just in in, in the zone and things like that but he also isn't blessed with a lot of talent as you say uh, as far as like uh, receiving talent and he's got to kind of elevate them it's just it's hard for me to imagine ohio state scoring so few points that notre dame can outscore them i guess is maybe the way i would say it
0: yeah I, I, because so andrew said this on the uh, post game pod yesterday that and i i didn't agree with it and that was before having watched this and now i really don't agree with it the idea that if it's two minutes left and the game is tied you take sam hartman in that situation i didn't get that vibe from sam hartman that he's going to go win you a game, you know? I saw a guy who isn't going to lose you the game. And those are two very different yeah. ways of approaching things. Like, he keeps them on schedule, but I don't know if it's third and nine and you got to get it, he's going to get it. And it's hard because it's a small sample size having only played NC State. But I just saw a guy who had been around the block, so simple stuff isn't going to fool him. You're not gonna beat him with an elementary game plan. Uh, to, <laughs> this is gonna sound mean. I would be more concerned about Ohio State's defensive effort if Kerry Combs was still the defensive coordinator. If that makes, because just because a lot of what Kerry, especially that Oregon game where it felt like Joe Moorhead was running the same play over and over and over again, and there was no adjustments, I would be more fearful of that if that's what the that's the defense that Ohio State was still running. But Jim Knowles is a little bit more complex, and he'll throw a lot more stuff at you. That I'm almost wondering, through three series of that, how does Sam Hartman respond to that? And I'm not saying Kyle McCord's going to go out there and win you the game either. He's just younger in his career, and so he has more room to prove it. While with Sam Hartman, I saw a quarterback who is what he is. He's really quality when everything is good. But you start messing with that, I lose a lot of faith in him.
1: I was trying to think of, I mean, the reason to watch this game... Was to take what we saw Saturday and try to match it. And there were definitely some things I saw, even though it's a different kind of offense, that I think are favorable for Ohio State in the matchup like this, if they can replicate it. One of them is the screen game. You know, it's something that Notre Dame will use in kind of the same way that Ohio State will with, you know, just trying to get horizontal and stretch teams out. And it was one of the best, kind of a hidden, victory for Ohio state within that victory on Saturday was yeah. just limiting the number of big plays, not letting, you know, playing discipline against those screens, not letting Western Kentucky get out and, and get a lot of yards after the catch really bottling things up. I thought there was a, a tone was kind of set early. Josh Proctor almost like jumped that route at the, on like the first screen that they tried over yeah. the flats, that sort of thing, like just playing your station, staying in your lane, And, and, and not giving into the, you know, the over pursuit and things that can get you in trouble there. I thought Hostie did a really good job of that. They've got to now translate that into Notre Dame, trying to do probably some, some similar things. And then, like I said before, you know, some good signs from the defensive line overall in the Western Kentucky game that maybe they felt a little bit challenged to get after it. And, you know, probably seeing in on film and hearing people say, well, this is going to be a tough team to really bother with the defensive line because of the way they play. And I I thought they actually maybe stepped up to that and, and showed that they could even under those circumstances. And now, again, like I said, like go, go watch this, go watch a Notre Dame game. And you'll see a lot of possessions where it's just a more traditional, like long, longer, not every possession, obviously you're not bombing away on every possession and they do their share of quick things too, quick strike things. And, and, and RPO type things, but plenty of possessions where you've got three, four plus seconds to take your shot at Hartman. And they're going to have to capitalize on that every once in a while. Again, not something you're going to do every time they do it. They've got good tackles. I think the offensive line overall is actually fairly solid, but you've got to get, there's got to be a moment I think in this game where we say, there's the one like, that's the time, you know, Uh, because frankly, you know, look at last year's Georgia game, you know, Ohio state had really good tackles too, but Mm -hmm. Harris Johnson gives up a sack at some point. Yeah, Like it's, it's, it's gotta be almost okay at this level. Like Joe Alts going to win some and JT two or Jack Sawyer is going to win some. And that's how it should be. It should be a little bit of a give and take in a lot of games and who, who wins, you know, if you win it at the right moment, it can be a game changer. I think the Georgia game is a perfect analogy for this what this Ohio
0: State defensive line should be doing. CJ Stroud got sacked four times. That's the game that made him the number two pick in the NFL draft, and he got sacked four times. And Paris Johnson, as you just mentioned, the first tackle taken off the board, gave up a sack to a freshman five-star Mikel Williams, because he might be an NFL player too. And nobody batted an eye at it. Nobody looked at Paris like, "Eh, maybe Paris isn't that no, it was just Two NFL players going back and forth. That's what I'm, I don't think they have to dominate Joe Alt and Blake Fisher. They just have to, it has to be a battle. We have to come out of that and both guys feeling like, man, JT really gave me a run for my money. And JT's going, man, Joe Alt gave me everything I could possibly handle in that game because that's what it should look like when it's equal like that. They're, they throw a lot of short passes. <laughs> like, a lot. Yeah. Sam Hartman is 30 of 34 on passes from 0 to 9 yards. He's 12 of 13 on passes that are behind the line of scrimmage, to your point with the screen passes. They've only thrown 19 medium-range passes. That's 10 to 19 yards. He's 11 of 19. But then he's completing, like, eighty 65% of his deep shots. That's where eight of his touchdowns have come from, 11 of 17, which is yeah. quality. But that's a lot of setup of we've done right. all this short, intermediate, run game stuff, and now you're up high and guys are falling asleep and I'm going to hit you over the top. But that's also level of talent they've played. So I think this is a big game for, yes, the defensive line. I think it's a big game for the cornerbacks and they're tackling around the line of scrimmage. And we've seen promise from Davis and Igman and Denzel Burke, the way they've tackled so far. I think we're going to see a lot of Jordan Hancock in the slot. Um, I, whether Sonny Styles moves up high or not, I'm interested because I saw it in the Ohio State game, and I texted it out to the Texers. In the second half, Sonny Styles was getting high safety snaps. I think he was playing the Bandit because he would play nickel, and then on third down, Hancock would come in at the nickel, and George, and Lathan Le- Ransom would come off the field. So they're preparing them. Maybe it shows up against Notre Dame, or maybe it shows up somewhere down the line, but we've had that idea all along, Nathan, and it's, it's slowly forming. So how quickly do they get to it, though?
1: Yeah, that may have also just been limiting – ransom's reps too just because he was a he was a questionable guy coming into the day and um is is playing through something with that right hand it appears so that may have been a factor there too but as i was you know texting and and writing before the game certainly had it in my mind that if ransom couldn't play one of your options was just to put Sonny styles at bandit he repped there a lot in the spring and go with hancock or martinez or whoever at slot or some combination thereof and maybe that was your best defense in that situation didn't have to do it but I think it is something that's on the table for them. You know, I think they really do think that Styles is that versatile. It's just a matter of where you get the most out of him. And I do think that Nickel is probably where you get the most out of him. I, I do want to talk real quickly, though, about Notre Dame's run game. I did I, I thought Audric Estime was solid, the the their main running back. Um I thought he was like kind of a grinder, but he's also got some burst. There was mm-hmm. one play in this game that um, I think they were coming out of a weather delay or something. And First of uh, all,
0: for, before you said the weather delay, the way they—I I don't know how long it was because we're watching this on YouTube, so obviously they cut right to the game starting up. I think the funniest thing about the weather delay though was Notre Dame was on the road, and so NC State's team they got a chance to like change clothes and get out of the wet clothes. And they talk about how Notre Dame's still in these wet clothes, and they wore, ran out of food, so now the coaching staff has to go up to concessions and get hot dogs and whatnot just for yeah. just for them to have a big run play for a touchdown coming right out of the brain the, the delay.
1: Yeah, the brats worked apparently. Joe Alt made a really <laughs> nice block coming across and and like cutting off the inside, and uh, Estimate just had one guy to beat and he was gone. And I thought so. From a lot of the game was him being pretty physical between the tackles, and and kind of grinding things out. But then when he had his shot there, he was he was out of a cannon. So that's something that Ohio State does have to worry about. That's why you can't probably overcompensate and and go overboard with uh, the pressure you're bringing because you don't want to leave yourself to expose there in that second level, but just something that, that he's, I, I think, pretty talented. And at the same time, I think Ohio State's run defense has been pretty solid so far through these first mm-hmm. three games. And I think if you can keep that going and make Sam Hartman have to beat you, that's that's maybe the, the main thing. Um, you know, in In 2021, the Oregon game, they did not make a pretty adequate average quarterback have to beat them. The mm-hmm. Oregon did that on the ground with a couple of guys who were pretty talented, obviously, but still, that that's not how you would have you, if you if you had done better against the run, put more of that game on the shoulders of and I'm, his name is escaping me now. Anthony uh, Brown, is that his name? Uh, yeah, I think Something that's his like name. That. Yes, he was a transfer from Boston College, right? Um, how quickly we forget, but it, it, he didn't, yeah, it, it Anthony was, Brown. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Anthony Brown. I mean, he was kind of a, a, a not that consequential in that game from what I remember. Cause again, they were just, he wasn't killing Ohio State <laughs> so much on the ground. So that can't be the way that this game goes. Like you've got to, you've got to bottle them up on the ground enough to make Sam Hartman have to make third, third down completions. And that, that passing chart you mentioned earlier is interesting because I have for a while thought that like that intermediate pass level, tells you a lot about a quarterback because mm-hmm. those aren't necessarily plays that are like dialed up you know a, a a when 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 Ohio State did that um that that play that where Abuka um motioned out right like it was going to be a swing pass and they did a little play action then he just bomb the way to Mar- Marvin Harrison over the top that doesn't tell me as much about Cam McCord as when he had to, uh, going back even a couple games, like some of those passes that he was making downfield to, mm-hmm. to Fleming uh, in, in, against Indiana or against Youngstown State. Like I thought those told me more. And when, you can, when you're having to maybe throw into crowds and stuff, how about the play early in this game where, um, was it third down or fourth down? And he throws high to a boot. It must have been maybe that early fourth down conversion he
0: had a, yeah his four misses were i think three of them were easy throws that you have oh, no, this to have
1: was, yeah this was a completion and this was the one where um where abuka came out of the backfield and and uh and he so you're bringing the you're, you brought the corner across or whoever that was the nickel maybe and then ran the route back the other way so he had the he was a step behind yeah and then he threw a high pass and i thought that was a really smart read on his part because it looked more dangerous than it was because there was no mm-hmm. safety behind he had no safety to worry about behind the play he could throw it high Ibuka yeah. could go up and get it and there was no danger of anything worse happening than potentially an incompletion and it you convert that play and you go in for the touchdown later. And I thought that sort of thing told me more about where Kamakord might be. Um, you've got to be able to rip some of those into tough spots and live to tell the tale. And how much can you, if you make Sam Hartman do that over and over again on Saturday, I think that maybe plays into Ohio state's favor. Cause I, I don't know from the times I've watched him that I think he's going to make the hero throw a lot.
0: So maybe this is a fair question, maybe it's not. Because both of these teams are in situations where it's probably the best thing for the defense to force the quarterback to beat them, right? Force the quarterback to come down and win the game. Who do you have more... If that happens, if that scenario presented itself to both of these quarterbacks at some point on Saturday, who do you have more faith in in their ability to actually make it happen?
1: It's a great question. Um, You know, again, Sam Hartman has played... So long. I meant to look this up before. I'm doing it in real time. looking at like his, Six.
0: game. You say like six years worth of football.
1: Game yeah, but I just want to look back at like some of these games with Wake Forest. Because, like, obviously his biggest challenge so far this year has been beating NC State. Did right. have to go on the road. And that was actually a team that had sort of kicked his butt when he was at Wake Forest. I think he was one and two all time and had thrown six picks in three games or whatever. So he had not played all that well against them. But like you look back at his career, I mean, he beat, he won at Florida State last year. Took Clemson to overtime, lost in double overtime. But you know, Florida State wasn't really Florida State yet, and Clemson was obviously had had its own issues. And he um, just strikes me as one of those guys that would be like, it's it's my favorite, like damning with faint praise or fainting with damn praise or something, whatever you want to say it. Um, when you call somebody a really good Big Ten quarterback, and you kind of like, mm. oh, <clears throat> really? You think that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you think that little of him? He's a really good Big Ten mm-hmm. quarterback, and because this is what he kind of feels like to me. I, I was thinking about this too in relation to that what you mentioned earlier, a piece that I wrote a couple weeks ago about will Ohio State have the best quarterback in every game it plays, and. Was thinking about that last night in in conjunction with some things, and it kind of dawned on me that like maybe there's more pressure on Sam Hartman to step up and actually win a game like this than there is on Cam McCord. Cam like, McCord's the one who is only four games into his starting career. He's going on the road to Notre Dame. He's got something going on on the offensive line in front of him. Like, you know, you could argue that there's actually more pressure on Sam Hartman to mm-hmm. after his, you know, 25 years in college football to step up and, and win a game of this magnitude at home. And I don't think he, I don't know that he's ever had a win like anywhere near this this level in his long, long, long career. He did beat NC State when NC State was ranked 16th a couple of years ago by three at home. So that may be the closest thing. I, I think there might be more on Hartman as far as like having to prove it. Because unless McCord came out and just played terrible, and I don't think we expect that. I don't think we expect that based on what we've seen physically from him. Mm -hmm. And I also think there's a chance that, you know, we talk a lot about the environment and, and all of that. And Kyle McCord was talking about it himself on Saturday after the game. But with the things that we know about his demeanor and the way people talk about him, It makes me wonder if, you know, there's other guys who've been like waiting for this moment their whole life. And then when it gets there, it's too big. They overthink it. They get in their own head. They're too hyped up. Any number of things can happen and they don't play the way they're supposed to. And he sounds like the opposite wiring to me that. And I'm not saying he like rises to some superhuman level. I'm just saying that the energy and the, um, sound and the hostility that you're going to encounter there, maybe just doesn't phase him. And then he can just go out and play his normal game. And uh, he recognizes the moment and uses that to his advantage rather than, you know, wilting in that moment. I think that's a possible outcome for Saturday. But as we said, after the game on uh, when we were talking for the Sunday pod, we just don't know yet. There's still a lot of unknowns about common Cord, And this is the biggest one. It's just how does he look in, in a moment like this? Yeah. Uh, haven't had to see anything close to it and uh, it's going to be uh, an interesting experiment unveiling however you want to say it on on Saturday
0: i think the as much as ryan day and his coaching staff is try, try to create every scenario under the sun for these quarterbacks whether it's in practice or manipulating games to do so it's not real until it's real if that makes sense because like ryan day made it, he said it after the after Saturday's game that i could have taken a knee and just went into halftime against Western Kentucky. But instead, it's like, no, this is an opportunity to see how he responds. Let's see how he acts in this two-minute drill. And that's fine. But when you're already up by 21 touchdowns, 20 points, excuse me. Not quite. 21, Not quite. 21 <laughs> First of all, if anybody has ever up by 21 touchdowns, the other team, just, just wave the white flag and let's go home.
1: If Clem Accord is in the game at any point when Ohio State is up <laughs> 21 touchdowns
0: that's a column why is he still out there that's that's
1: fireable right there
0: (laughs) yeah but when you're already up by so many points the consequences are a little different and so the mindset regardless of how whether you approach it the right way or not it's gonna be a different mindset because the the consequences are different it's a different scenario When if it's a two-minute drill to close out the second half and you're trying to take the lead back or you're trying to cut into a 10-point lead, that's a very different scenario because you're building momentum versus just trying to get a data point that you can go back and review when you're looking at it in the film room. I don't know the answer to that question either. I do know that Kyle McCord's environment is set up more for him to succeed if it happens. And that's just, I mean, that's just another way of saying Ohio State has more talent than Notre Dame is. But that's true. It's like, even if he's in a situation where he has to go win the game, sometimes the answer, (laughs) I remember asking CJ's child this question back in the spring of 2022 of, listen, there is sometimes where you just see something and you're just going to throw it regardless, whether it's open or not. And he's like, no, most you just go through your reads, but then sometimes, effort, I'm just throwing it up to Julian Fleming because it's Julian Fleming. When you've got Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka, sometimes it, there's going to come sometimes in, the, in Saturday's game and Penn State, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, potential playoff game where nothing's open. Just throw it up to Marvin or throw it up to Emeka, and let's see what happens. And it's going to work out in your favor because that's who you have. Sam Hartman, one has. You're right. I am with you that he is more on the hook to prove it because you're six years into this and you really haven't done it. And really, because you were playing in the ACC, which has not been the greatest conference for most of his career outside of what Clemson is doing, he probably wasn't in as many scenarios of this heightened caliber that he's going to be in on Saturday. So I don't know the answer. I do know that Kyle McCord just has a better environment to make that happen. We're going to take a quick break. And then there's one more quarterback thing I want to talk about before we just talk about all the other elements of what we saw on Saturday from both. Ohio State, and then when we watch Notre Dame against NC State that are going to matter next Saturday. So I'll reveal what that is when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. A lot of text, a lot of text. This is the best possible week to start it. Well, that's not true. You could also just wait till the Michigan game is started. But that, don't do that. Don't do that. Start it this week. Two-week free trial and $3.99 after that. It gets you through the Notre Dame game, and it gets through through a bye week. Awesome time, I promise you, you will not regret signing up for the text, 614-350-3315. Nathan, I've been rolling around with this thought in my head. C.J. Stroud ended up being a very, very highly elite quarterback for Ohio State. But I don't think both because of his environment, because of things that were out of his control, but also just his actual play, didn't necessarily set the best tone to the start of his career as Ohio State starting quarterback because it looked ugly in the first half against Minnesota, and then they just were just better, so they started throwing bombs. And then Ryan Day has said it, they put too much on C.J. Stroud's plate in that Oregon game. He threw 54 passes. That's just way too much. But the reality is they had the ball with a chance to go score and tie the game, and he threw an interception. And I think people saw that in public perception. That never left because then Michigan game, Michigan game again, uh, the Penn State game in 2022, where he was awesome down the stretch, but that's just as much about Marvin Harrison Jr. and J.T. turing Loial and what they were doing as much as it was about him. And then the Georgia game was really the the first time where nobody could say that he doesn't show up in big games. It, it emphatically say it. You could say it other times, but that was the first time. And because it, it all starts with that Oregon game and how it didn't really work out for him. Tom McCord's in year three. This is his first real big game. He's had some ups and downs for the first three weeks, but he built some momentum against Western Kentucky. And I think he can set a tone for how people view him in these big games, which whether it's fair or not, as quarterbacks, you are judged on what you do in in these type of games.
1: I I think for him, the the most important thing is just limiting mistakes. Limiting, Mm -hmm. you know, he had the one big one on Saturday and it wasn't that he took the sack it was that he left himself so vulnerable to getting stripped he you know once he feels that pressure collapsing if he just you know tucks it and takes that sack that i think is something that that's a hard thing to fully coach probably in a in a preseason offseason situation just cuz you're not live and it, that's one of the things that maybe has mm-hmm. to just get worked out on the field a little bit and maybe the instinct kicks in the, the next time because you just know, you've, you, you take the sack there, you've got another bullet in the chamber to, mm. with, that, with that offense to get those yards, and the Ohio State's offense can get 15, 16 yards without much trouble. But, but it's, the, it's the one mistake that really lingers in, uh, out of uh, you know, uh, an otherwise pretty strong game. Some of what you're, you're saying with Stroud is true, but the, it, it, it's a little bit unfair because when you look back on it, That team just had real flaws. That team had, you know, there were run game issues that kept kind of popping up here and there. And then obviously those cost him against Michigan. There were obviously defensive issues that were so significant that after that game, they pulled the coordinator uh, play calling um, responsibilities. That is significant. That is like a significant sign of a problem. We're looking at this team right now. and nothing is that drastic except for potentially what's going on in the offensive line. But as far as the the defense, this is a defense that is playing with a lot of confidence and I think is going to set a pretty solid foundation for the offense in a game like this. You know, Ohio state had to overcome its own defense in order to try to beat Oregon in that game at home. And I, that will not be the case. I don't believe at Notre Dame, it wasn't the case obviously last year when they played Notre Dame, the defense played one of its Best games of the year, really. Although they were playing a, an offense that was that was limited, and this one has more upside than that one did. Um, I, I think it's more just about as we talked about after the game, and I, I it was reinforced for me when I watched more Notre Dame in the last twenty four hours. Is just don't don't make this hard on Cam McCord. Make mm-hmm. this. I'm not <laughs> saying again that Notre Dame can't step up and that this wouldn't be a game in the fourth quarter. And okay, now you do have to go drive. Now you do have to run a two minute drill. Now you do have to maybe uh, maybe you're ahead. And now you have to orchestrate a long drive that eats a ton of clock like those are all parts of being a winning quarterback. And and that could be tested in a game like this. But I think for the for the majority of this game, it's more about Ohio State not having letdowns in other areas. And for McCord then to win when a situation like that arises, because I think there's a reasonable certainty that something will crop up on Saturday at some point. Um, handle it better than you handled the last one But I think so far through three games We've already seen some uh, some examples Of him handling things better the second time Around uh, you know Ryan Day has always talked About that uh, you know of the, tra- the Traits that he wants in a quarterback He doesn't talk about can and arm He doesn't talk about elite speed it's usually Things about you know you make a mistake And then the second time you don't make that mistake mm-hmm. And you know it's only a few Games in he's only seeing some things for the first time um, But we we do have some indications that that's something that Kamakord is is all right at. So, uh, how do you go into a game like this and just not not give possessions away, um, make the right decisions on third down? But you're to the, the Ohio State has to he- help him out by blocking those third and shorts and converting those. That's that's things like that are also out of his control.
0: I'm glad this game is big because we can have this conversation throughout the week. I'm not asking you to present a game score right now, but I mean, we 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 are leaning a certain way when we go into weeks with games like this, right? And and then you spend the week formulating really what your opinion is going to be, and by the time we actually make our game picks on Thursdays, you are solidified. It okay? I think this team's going to win. I think this team's going to win. I think right now, what what's the line at eight and a half as we're recording this? Oh podcast. no no no
1: no. So it was eight and a half in the off season. It's down to okay. three three and a half at at okay. the books that I've seen this morning. It's been dropping pretty precipitously. And I think that's a reflection of people seeing Hartman at Notre Dame and him, you know, translating. I mean, he's, what is he right now? It's like 13 touchdowns, no interceptions so far. Correct. I mean, he's been cooking pretty hot, um, through these first four games. And also what was going on with Ohio state's offense in those first couple of games. And the fact that they torched Western Kentucky, maybe not being as impressive to, um, You know, the the power rankings that are out there um, relative to what what they're going to face against Notre Dame.
0: If I had to ask you which way
1: you were leaning right now, which way would you lean and why? I would probably be leaning right now for Ohio State to cover that because I just I I don't look at Notre Dame and see a team that's going to put up a bunch of points. I, I see a Notre Dame team that I don't I think is better offensively than last year but still not great. Mm-hmm. I look at an Ohio State defense that is better than last year's Ohio State defense. And I look at an Ohio State offense that is figuring some things out in front of our eyes. The one thing that does give me pause is this offensive line. I mean, it's been getting gradually better for the most part. Do you think they still have some issues at left tackle? That that they 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 need to it, the consistency just is is still not there, mm-hmm. and I think that you see some repercussions down the line from that uh, from time to time. But if you can't, if again those they they did a good job like converting third and short against Western Kentucky. It's going to be just so much tougher against Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame yeah. is a pretty talented front. They've got some dudes at kind of every level. I think there was there's there's some decent players. Um, they've definitely got some guys in the secondary. This Benjamin Morrison is real deal. I think he had like six picks last year. Mm-hmm. He's the son of a, an NFL guy named Daryl Morrison. He had a pick, did a great job. I I, I it was now it's not fair because he's a corner and Josh Proctor's a safety, and that's a different skill set but like the way that he tracked the ball and picked it off against NC state where he just like, basically wasn't even looking at the receiver. It was just following the quarterback the whole time. It was just, it was textbook. It was a really sweet interception he had early in that game. And you look at the play Proctor had in the first quarter against Western Kentucky, where he's celebrating a PBU, but I don't know that if he ever knew the ball was actually coming to him. Uh, It was more (laughs) playing the receiver than playing the ball. And it, it, it works at the end of the day, it works. So, you know, whatever, but, it did make me think, like, oh, like a guy who's maybe a little better cover guy, maybe probably just picks that off.
0: Denzel Burke had <clears throat> one of those too, where I think if he would have, he could have jumped the ball and got a pick on one of those. Just like I think it wasn't a screen yeah. pass; it was just an easy out, and, and he probably should have picked it off. But at least he, I mean, they didn't get any yards off of that,
1: so it's whatever. And it's it, we have to be careful not to nitpick. Like everything can't be perfect every time. Yeah. Nobody's held to that standard. I certainly don't live up to that standard. It's more you have to look at the the, the bigger picture, but they've got some talent on defense is all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Um, They will, you know, they'll, they'll bring pressure. They they've got, they can get, I think that, you know, their front four is, is decent enough on its own. I think that's a key as I'm watching this game is, you know, don't make calm accord have to make up for the fact that your five is giving up pressure to four. That that's asking. That's one of those cases of like putting too much on his plate. Don't make him. Have to figure out how to um, to overcompensate when the, if the offensive line is not getting it done, and don't don't then also make put him in situations where you know you 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 have to give this offense occasionally. Just as I was saying about Notre Dame, like on occasion, Ohio State's going to want to dial something up where it gets its three second for for a you know Harrison or Ibuka or Fleming to, to make his move downfield. And you've got to protect that enough. You can't have that become a liability um, because not only is it, you know, taking away a true weapon from your offense, you're mm-hmm. you're moving backwards and it, it it starts exposing you to big plays going the other way.
0: Yeah. I, I think, I think the linebacker, but, uh, I, have, <laughs> I think the linebacker core is quality. I think the secondary is, is decent it's It's better than what they've been facing. Listen, I mean these are these are the best receivers in the country, so it is what it is, but they haven't been challenged at all the first three weeks. So you know, there's gonna be some moments where like, every pass is not going to be five, six, seven yards open this week because I do think they'll they'll if Marvin, if every ten, if Marvin gets ten targets, we'll probably get more than that because they're probably gonna feed him in a mecca a lot. But if a Mar- if Marvin gets ten targets, Notre Dame's defensive secondary, as a whole—not individually, but as a whole—can get two wins, and if those two wins come at the right time, that's all that matters. It doesn't what he does on the other eight is is its own thing. But if they can get two wins, then that's I think that's a good day for a group that's decent, but they're not elite. It's not Penn State secondary; they don't have first potential first rounders and second round guys in their secondary right now. So I'm with you. The problem is we haven't seen them struggle in pass pro. But they've also only played one team who had a guy who could at least challenge that, and that was Indiana, and that was a bunch of transfers. So maybe we do should put a pin in the pass pro until a week like this where, once again, the defensive I – and mean, they don't have Isaiah Foskey this year, but there are some quality NFL-level guys who are on that defensive line this year. So this week. So it's it, – Kyle McCord's one sack came because of him. And max protection. So I wonder if it's going to be two or three sacks this week just because they're facing a more quality defensive line than what we have been facing. But what we do know is they were four four and third and five and short, excuse me, third and four and shorter against Western Kentucky, which is progress, but it's like 2% progress because Western Kentucky's defense was not very good.
1: I'm curious about a couple of things when we get into Saturday because I, I wanted to ask Ryan Day about this after the game and decided it was probably better for a, a mid-week, midweek question. But how they've balanced trying to get the foundation set for this offense between also maybe holding back some identity for mm. a week like this. And mm. do we see a different approach to some things, especially because the pass protection has been pretty solid. Mm-hmm. It, it, the run game has been the, the bigger issues, I think, as far as blocking, as far as the, the offensive line play. The, the pass pro has been pretty strong. And then you can also put your extra tight ends and chip train them out there and, and protect even more. Although then you start bringing one guy to protect, lose one guy who's who's a, a weapon beyond the line of scrimmage. But I, I, I wonder if we're going to get a different vibe, if we're going to get just a different... Uh, a different approach from play calling. And then do you get a different vibe too? Because everybody has been asking like, where was that Ryan day that we saw against Georgia? And is it possible that he's still there, but you don't need to show him against Indiana. Um, You don't need to show him against Western Kentucky. You don't need to show him certainly after the middle of the second quarter against Western Kentucky. Like, do we see a different vibe from him this week? And it gets dangerous there when you start talking about turning it on and turning it off and, and don't want to turn it on too late, I suppose. And there's trickle down effects. I think if you, if you turn it on and just have that become the identity of the program, but do we see a different vibe from him in a game like this? Where, um, because the last time they were in a game like this, uh, they, they knew going into that game, we can't play tight, can't play intimidated, have to be, uh, confident and 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 take your shot and do we see more of that than we have in these first three games and and it's it's hard to say like was that empty was that missing from the western kentucky game well it's just a different it's a it's a completely different atmosphere of a game it's a completely different expectation of a game i mean this is one where it's it's tight they are you know not favored to just go in there and and roll somebody um and do you have to bring in uh, uh, just something else. Do you, do you it, what what did they learn from Georgia that is more applicable applicable to Notre Dame than it has been in any of the first three games? And do they use it? I think they put a lot of stuff on film. The
0: first three weeks, they just didn't do much with what they were putting on film. <laughs> And I think you're making a good point because there was a lot going on. I mean, they're still trying to figure out the quarterback situation. It's a brand-new offensive line who was having some struggles here and there. You know, your defense is – the defense kind of just was doing what the defense – because Jim Doles was even playing. Now, he would blitz every so often, but he didn't do anything exotic that made you go, oh, that was different. So I am wondering if it genuinely was the first three weeks were just a preseason this was three preseason, it was literally like the NFL, three preseason games where you put stuff on tape, you figure out what your team is. And then, okay, let's take this team that we now know and let's go into week one, which is Notre Dame. And then you get to come up for air after week one and figure out what, if you liked what you saw or not. But I do, I saw a lot. And I was like, what is that against Notre Dame? Cause a lot of that motion stuff, they weren't doing that early in the year last year. They were doing – as much as they brought a mecca in motion, they were doing that a lot in the Georgia game, and it was usually ending up in some explosive play call. And you just didn't see that the first three weeks. As you're right. They didn't have to. So why not just you know get the first parts of it down, get Notre Dame thinking about that stuff, and then what does it turn into now that you're playing a team where you actually
1: do need to be aggressive Ryan Day? I actually like Abuka in motion. I thought that they – that opens them up for – I mean, yeah. that's a – He's he's gotten so big over the mm-hmm. course of his career, like he's really like gotten so strong that now that becomes a really fun matchup in a lot of ways for Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing to remember, kind of the flip side of everything we're talking about, is this is going to be maybe the best coaching staff they've faced. Certainly from a, a defensive standpoint, you know Marcus for Freeman sure. has a defensive background, has been a successful defensive coordinator, and then Al Golden the you know former Miami head coach is the defensive coordinator of this team. And, you know, when they lost the Oregon game in 2021, it wasn't necessarily the personnel on the field. It wasn't yeah. certainly, you know, Mario Cristobal that was out there like conjuring magic. It was um, uh, Joe Moorhead and the offense that he put together that day yeah. that truly victimized Ohio State. So flip side of that, like does Al Golden, you know, it's been four games for Notre Dame, but they also haven't had to show a whole lot. Then the NC State game was maybe the, the best example yeah. of it. What does he have hanging around to try to go out and rattle a still relatively inexperienced starting quarterback? Is there, does is he, especially when he looks on film and he sees vulnerabilities in this offensive line, what does he do to try to capitalize on that?
0: I mean, you can say the same thing on offense too. Like Tommy Reese is not their offensive coordinator anymore. So Jim yep. Knowles is it's Gerard Parker, who had spent, you know, who's been 12 years into this thing as an FBS coach. It's it, they've Jim mm-hmm. Knowles is preparing for a whole new game plan as well than what he was preparing for a year ago. And unlike last year where he had nine months, well, I mean, they I would assume that they spent a decent amount of time preparing for Notre Dame. But this in this, this situation, he's got three games worth of film, but we just got done saying how much was Ohio State holding back, how much were they showing, but not really actually doing anything out of it. You could probably say the same thing about Sam Hartman and this Notre Dame offense as well.
1: I actually think that is a – that's a good point about Jared Parker, though. Um, I knew him a little bit. He was the – interim head coach when Daryl Hazel got fired at Purdue. He had been the, the the tight ends coach there. And, um, he was not like the first Notre Dame choice to be OC after time. No. Like, they, they had to kind of beat the bushes and then finally just came back to Parker. Who's getting his first chance. I think he might've been like co OC at one point at West Virginia. I want to say yeah. a couple of years ago. Um, and you know he was at Penn State a couple of years ago too as a just a receivers coach, tight ends coach, something like that. Like I, we don't know that he's like a, a that next level offensive mind that would take mm-hmm. that would be able to match up with what Knowles is going to do. And um, it's like I was kind of it was, was leading to at the beginning of this. Like, is Knowles going to be aggressive? And because he got here saying you know, what do, what, what's the whole philosophy of his defense is to get in the heads of opposing quarterbacks and opposing offensive coordinators and, and throw them off. And is this something that's attainable for him this week? And, or does he look at this and say, no, it's Notre Dame. No, it's Sam Hartman. Um, I've got talent. I'm not going to push it. I'm not going to be overly aggressive. I'm going to But, but it's, it's also, I think we've had this argument now for a couple of years. And my point all along has been, yes, once in a while you give up something when you blitz once in a while, a team capitalizes, but you have to keep doing it. You have to at least have the threat of it. Teams can't think that you're not going to do it. And I think that's what still has to be a part of, even if Jim Knowles is pulling back on the, you know, this, whatever term he used last week, feast or famine, Yeah, Um, even if you're pulling back on a little bit, teams have to respect that you're going to do it. And I don't think I don't respect in terms of like it used to be your M.O. So they think it might be there like they have to know uh, on any given snap that it could be coming. Maybe you call it less, but I think you still have to call it a decent amount so that they know it could be coming. I, I don't think you want that threat eliminated from your defense. So I'm I'm intrigued by how you know he's obviously blitzed a lot in these first few games. With Tommy Eichenberg, with with other guys, but but primarily with Eichenberg, and yeah. I would I could still see you know again smaller quarterback just just attacking him with Tommy Eikenberg and making him uh, beat you. I could still see that being a big part of this game plan. They have blitzed Tommy Eichenberg a lot, and he's been like a missile.
0: Getting places, even if he's he he doesn't always hit. Sometimes he's, even on those screens against Western Kentucky, there were times where he would miss. But he's like a heat-seeking miss, missile, getting to places. They haven't done much with Lathan Ransom yet. He's just been like a typical strong safety, and I wonder how much of that they've been saving for a game like this. They blitz Sunny Styles a couple of times, but it's typically they're blitzing him behind Tommy Eichenberg, as if Eichenberg's the decoy because they did it against Youngstown State once where they sent both and Sonny Styles is literally right behind Tommy Eikenberg. Tommy just got home, so it didn't matter anymore. But I do wonder, we've we've seen Tommy Eikenberg blitzing, and that's basically been it. How much more does Steel Chambers get involved in that aspect? How much more do these safeties and these safety blitzes get involved? Yeah. And do we see any cornerback? like you got Jordan Hancock in there playing nickel on third down. Does he get sent on some blitzes every once in a while? Because we haven't seen a lot of that yet.
1: I, I wonder if then I don't want to put words in Jim Knowles' mouth or brain, but can you only blitz Lathan Ransom as much as you trust your adjuster, trust your free safety? Because mm. that's where I mean, and maybe that's a part of where he what he's talking about as far as just being a little bit more conservative this year is who you blitz with. Like, go ahead and just blitz with Tommy Eikenberg to your heart's content. That's probably not costing you downfield. But when you bring Lathan Ransom, you're giving up something downfield. And I'm not saying you should never do it, like I just said. Like, I still think it needs to be something in your back pocket. And and having the element of surprise with it is where it's maybe the most valuable when you finally do do it. But having the other team having to account for it at all times is also really valuable. But you may just not be able to do it until you're sure that you you can trust what's going on with the guy that you're leaving behind the defense when you do that. There's a, a That's just a guess on my part.
0: There is a KYP element to that because last year you're sending both of your safeties and you're leaving your corners on an island. And you're leaving those personnel corners as you probably should not have been leaving on an island. But – to your point, when you send Tommy Eichenberg, you're putting more pressure on Steele Chambers to do something if the blitz doesn't work. And Steele Chambers has spent two years proving to you he can handle it. We don't know that with Josh Proctor yet. I think we know it with the corners now. I think David sinek has been really good in open field tackling. I think uh, Denzel Burke's been really good open field tackling. I think Jordan Hancock's in this new role. He showed me a little bit more that he's getting there with the open field tackling. But... Ronnie Hickman fell off at the end of last year, but at the beginning of the season, he was so reliable back there. It was Jordan fuller light with how reliable he was back then when they were sending Lathan Ransom on those blitzes. If you're still looking at Josh Proctor and thinking, Josh Proctor is really good when you give him this one assignment, and he can just lock in on that, then, to your point, it's probably not the wisest thing to be sending your other safety on blitzes, especially when you're trying to do everything under the sun with Sonny Styles. But if Josh Proctor spent the first two weeks showing you he can handle it, or do you flip it and you send your adjuster and you keep your abandon back there because you trust Lathan Ransom a little bit more. But the more you trust the guy you're leaving back there, the more you're likely you are to be
1: aggressive with the other guy. That was good. That's good football talk. That's really good football talk. We're Good Good football speculation. We'll see. Again, we'll, well yeah, see how it fair. plays out on Saturday.
0: That's fair. I mean, well, Yeah, and we'll be talking with Ryan Day and Jim Knowles on Tuesday, so some of the speculation might be validated or put to bed by Tuesday, and then we're going to come on the, the Wednesday pod like, hey, guys, we said all these things, and uh, we want to clean some of that up because uh, we found out that Latham Ransom is going to be blitzing 25 times on, on Friday Saturday night. But we'll be back at the Woody on Tuesday talking with Ryan Day and Jim Knowles on Tuesday's pod, as we're doing that, you'll be listening to Andrew and I. Andrew went to go see a a potential five-star quarterback in the 2025 class who is currently committed to Ohio State. Tavian St. Clair, and then we'll be back at the Woody. And then it'll be Wednesday. We'll be doing the big pod. Well, we're probably going to do something similar to this again, man. A lot of football talk, a lot of preparation, getting ready for this Ohio State-Notre Dame game. And then there'll be the game preview pod on Friday. And then we'll be there, 7 p.m. South Bend, Ohio State versus Notre Dame. Top 10 opponent, top 10 matchup in the prime time. For Nathan Baird, I'm Stephen Means. Get the text 614-350-3315. This is a great week to get the text. I promise you two-week free trial. You will not regret signing up. And that was Buckeye Talk.